Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us on uh, Fridays at 7.40 a.m. for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good to be with you, Nachum, again. I appreciate that, and, and, and you and I always use the opportunity, even when it's a sad opportunity, uh, to talk about the greatness of Jewish leadership and the, the way someone can make a difference. I, I mentioned earlier in the week, I'm sure you heard that I was a major fan, not that he needed my approbation, but a major fan of Rabbi Pinchas Stolper, and I've, obviously I knew him in a different generation than you did, uh, but there was something about his leadership, his, uh, his uh, leadership skills, his ingenuity, uh, the ability to really create in the space of um, Jewish communal life that I think has to be mentioned and commended. Could you give us a word about the life of Ari Pinchas Stolper? I could give much more than uh, a word or a page. I certainly could write a chapter. Uh, I was very close to him in his years at the OU. I was on the board of the OU. He was a member of the President's Conference representing the Orthodox Union, or the JCRC. He was a neighbor of mine, so we often would come back to Brooklyn together uh, after meetings. He was uh, a really unique individual. He was a trailblazer in the queue of work, um, and one that was accepted. Uh, his work and he personally were accepted by across the board, from Haredim to, to the most secular Jews. He was uh, uniquely um, uh, sensitive to, to the needs, and, and especially of young people, what he did in, in creating NCSY, and later as the head of the OU, uh, chief executive officer, uh, focusing so much on them. I think his legacy lives in the thousands and thousands he influenced, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, very sad to notice passing. And also uh, another great Rav, Rav uh, Simcha Cook, who passed away in uh, from Rehovot, who was also someone who reached out across all lines and borders, was deeply devoted to, to both to Israel and to mobilizing support, he used to call me about you know, the concerns that he had. Uh, uh, another great loss for us. And I, and I just want to note: I can only imagine how many people, uh, both who you know and didn't know, had an influence on your own career in Jewish communal life. And I say it that way because parents and grandparents should encourage their uh, children and grandchildren out there to uh, to look at the lives of some of these people and not just look at them as simple biographies or you know uh, a, a, an opportunity to read about them and to learn about them. But if you internalize some of the great things they did, it can actually change the way you, someone out there, grows as a Jewish community leader. And I'm sure you agree with that. 100%. I'm influenced when had the opportunity to discuss to be to benefit from so many people over the, the, the past five decades. Uh, too many to list, but you're absolutely right. Uh, also, I, I hope, um, I'm always curious from your angle, from your impressions, I hope you were impressed with the showing on Sunday on Fifth Avenue for the Celebrate Israel Parade. I don't think we had high expectations this year for a number of reasons, legitimate reasons, but I, was, I, I, I sort of felt like the Jewish community got the job done. What was your impression? I think the marker was put back down after two years of absence. Uh, I think you're right, people were skeptical, yet they turned out, and, and it was very hot. Uh, the fact that the young people's enthusiasm in the parade this year, I thought was higher than I recall in, in some recent years. Uh, I think that, that both they felt the need, and they know that Israel is facing some serious challenges, and really wanted to give 
give a message to the world and to show them that we stand with Israel and that all these rumors about the Jews distancing themselves hopefully will be put to rest by it. Uh, and I know we're far away from the high holidays, which is when we normally uh, emphasize this topic. But with the shooting in Texas this week, I would imagine your phone's been ringing off the hook. And you're, well, it's, it's 2022, so your email and texts have also been off the hook, I would guess, uh, with people who are concerned about our own schools and, and schools in general uh, and public places and uh, obviously our houses of worship in our community. Uh, Malcolm, I bring this up, you know, for only one reason, and that's because uh, you're one of those people that continues to encourage everybody to take this topic very, very seriously. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we'd like to think that nothing's ever going to happen anywhere, especially in our community, but you never know, and people need to take precautions. More than more than that, Malcolm. Uh, well, as you know, I've been a long-time advocate. We created SCAN, which is doing amazing work, and then there's other groups uh, that are providing security. I saw a, a letter from one of these um in which they uh, outlined the steps that they've taken and that they spend $350,000 a year on security for one yeshiva. And, you know, there are security grants and we're fighting for more money now and people should contact their Congress members to make sure that we get an escalation. We hope to get the $350 million this year. A good percentage will go to Jewish uh, institutions. It's really vital and we, and we cannot put the guard down at any time because that's when something will happen. And we, we have to... Uh, I was had this host this week, and I'm certainly buoyed by my experience at uh, the senior, meeting the seniors at T- TABC ah, in New Jersey oh and wow. at Manhattan and Manhattan High School, nice. uh, the old school, which I do annually. And the the uh, really, it's amazing to see the commitment, the um, interest. Uh, but going into the institutions and seeing how they're protected is also, for me, a very important sign that people take it seriously. We we had a meeting of SCAN's board last week in Washington with Mayorkas, the head of the Department of Homeland Security and the deputy director of the FBI, and they recognize, you know, Jews are the number one target for hate crimes. Uh, you see the tremendous increase in New York and across the country, including physical assaults, I think. Those that are documented, and we still know that the vast majority don't get documented, right. so people have to report it, but they should apply those that didn't apply for grants should do it right away and others should take whatever steps are necessary. Sometimes it's an inconvenience, but it's um, essential. And, and, and just curious, and I don't even know if it's true, but the media certainly is, is, is trying to convince us that it's true, that these things don't happen in other countries, in other countries' schools. Again, I don't think that's true, but I haven't researched it's happening it. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that, happening that, everywhere. That's what I would suspect. But in terms of the Jewish schools, can I just say one thing? Um, and I'm sure you've seen this a million times. When, when I've traveled to places like Italy and France, etc., and visited schools or just went there for a minion, they're protected by the military. I mean, literally, you've seen what those soldiers look like and what they're equipped with outside of school. I know it's the Jewish schools, but I'm just saying that ju- just that in and of itself is a big difference, right? It is a difference, uh, but I can tell you, for instance, in France, the, the, the soldiers say, we're not policemen, we don't want to do this duty. And um, often they they do it in a lack cluster or don't even show up for their responsibilities. Um, and it's a problem in Europe, of course, the laws are different and enlisting of the uh, of, of forces here in New York, we have a police force the size of the armies of many countries, mm-hmm. and they are certainly responsive to the needs of the Jewish community, but they can't 
permanently stationed people at every place and every school. I did see outside one of the schools I visited uh, this week that uh, they had a policeman was was outside, uh, but they have their own security as well. And the, the police have to today be much more sensitive, and especially because of copycatting after an attack like the horrendous one we saw this week yeah. and, and the Buffalo attack. And by the way, the Buffalo guy had a greater hatred for Jews than for blacks, and it was just chose this place. But he had sites in Lakewood in his in his papers and his computer and other uh, things. So you know, no one should believe that they don't that there isn't a con- connection and that they don't really want to target the Jewish community. There were events that were prevented in the last few days um, here and abroad that uh, remind us constantly how essential it is. And there are steps that you can take and it's not, doesn't all cost money and it doesn't, it it requires commitment. You can go to the scan site and get a lot of recommendations, a lot of advice about what measures you can take. Uh, Wow. What, what a, just I, I think back to, you know, and I'm sure you do, too, and everybody listening has done that this week, has thought back to their own elementary school experience, and I, I can't even imagine, but all right. right. Um, like I say, enough about that for the moment. Um, let's do the Yom Yerushalayim piece. You know how we're going to be celebrating here. Um, the, is it in fact true that the Israeli courts have now allowed Jewish prayer in the Temple Mount? This, uh, this of course, has been a bone of contention among uh, members of the Jewish faith who are uh, who are the only ones not allowed to pray up there. Can they do so now? So the answer is yes and no. They, the court ruled that they could engage in prayer because there were three young people who... Uh, got on the ground, started saying Shema. The court said saying Shema is not a provocative action, but that was overruled by a higher court, and they mm. again instituted the limitation on Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount. Um, and uh, uh, meaning the same way it was a month ago now? Like we're, yeah. we're, they've reverted back? You cannot. Yes, you cannot. All right. I mean, you, I don't have to do my editorial on this because you know my editorial on this, and yours is probably similar. I would, I would assume uh, the Rikud Galim right now is scheduled, meaning the flag march for Sunday is still scheduled in Yerushalayim, and festivities will begin tomorrow night. The truth is, when we spoke to Daniel Luria yesterday, he said the festivities have already begun. Frankly, but uh, you, you wonder if there'll be a last-minute cancellation of an event like that, as we've seen in the past. Uh, if the uh, if the Arab community is going to use it as an excuse. Uh, to rev things up uh, in terms of violence. You, do you have any indication of what's going on in terms of security and in terms of incitement uh, era of Yom Yerushalayim? So there are tremendous preparations that are underway. They, in fact, they did start celebrating last night, and uh, the culmination will be on Sunday. The flag march will go by the, its original route. Uh, as of now, the United States has asked uh, Israel to reconsider uh, there have been a lot of appeals that they shouldn't have it. You know, from Gaza, they've been threatening uh, Israel that they will retaliate. First, they, they called on Israeli Arabs, uh, the Arabs, they, to, not in Gaza, in the West Bank and Jerusalem, to react. Uh, but, and, and you know, Israel is doing everything possible to avoid it. I wouldn't say it's the Arab community. I would say that it's, it is some, it's the instigators, just as we saw in the violence on our bike during Ramadan, yeah. that it was 500 people out of 100,000 who engaged in, in violence. But the stimulation, the fact that you have um, imams and others preaching this uh, hatred and incitement, and they should be put in jail right away, this is, this is not tolerable because people will pay with their lives. The uh, parade should not be canceled. I mean, they, they, every time you 
do take steps like that. It should be responsible. It, the root is one the police have to determine. But uh, there has to be this manifestation because otherwise we keep compromising the sovereignty of Jerusalem and, and allowing the people to dictate by threats of violence means that there's never going to be satiated. They'll never, you know, it's feeding the crocodile and the hope will eat you last, as Winston Churchill said. Yeah. And this is this is really critical that, you know, you shalim, which too many take for granted that this event, which hasn't been held because uh, it was uh, the last year, I think, um, yeah, that probably the last place w- to end, with, and give us the message. With COVID, it's probably been two years, I would guess. Since, two uh, years, yeah. I think, right. No, meaning uh, COVID and then the, then the cancellation thing. Uh, Malcolm, I, look, uh, <laughs> uh, I miss Mayer so much, and I won't be able to discuss this with him on Monday, so just uh, bear with me for a moment. But uh, this is a question I certainly would have asked him during our Yom Yushalayim special. Can you believe that it's 55 years? And can you believe what has happened over the last 55 years and how different things were for the Jewish world 55 years ago when there was no Jewish sovereignty over Jerusalem? Although I was very young, I do remember the <laughs> Six-Day War, and um, uh, I had the good fortune of going to Israel the day it ended and seeing Yerushalayim everything firsthand, although I did visit Yerushalayim in 1966, the year before, uh, as I visited a number of Arab countries, and um, uh, so the, the the significance for me, and unfortunately, when I ask young people about it, they have no clue about what was really about what that what those days before the war, the months before the war, the build up to it, the, the war of attrition, how how Israel's existence was, was at stake. We believed in God. Obviously, had other plans and and reminded us over and over again of of that. And uh, this week's parshim b'chukosai telecho that if you look at what all the things that we were promised, we certainly were granted so many of those brachot, uh, the blessings that. Um, you know, are mentioned there that the the significance of, and people after the war would would stop you on the street and congratulate Israel non-Jews, and the whole, whole world was watching it and and I think cheering on Israel uh, as the this miraculous events, and I, I really regret the fact that young people are not taught about it and taught to appreciate and understand all the travails have, that have gone into the creation of the state, the maintenance of the state that we take for granted today. Yeah. And especially about having Yerushalayim back, how people, we used to go up to Abu Tur to have to just look, to be able to get a glimpse a glimpse of, of the Harabayat, to, to, that people couldn't go to, to Harazazim, that people couldn't go across the, 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 to many areas because the Jordanian Legion was firing down from the old city walls. And, and today, the, the the miracle of reunification of Jerusalem is is taken for granted. So I hope every shul will mark this Shabbat Yerushalayim in appropriate ways to to be reminded. Yerushalayim should not be just a song; it's a, it's a pledge, and they should take it anew every year. And what it did for Jews in the diaspora, whether it was here, the Soviet Union, and so many other places, in terms oh, absolutely. of absolutely, mean, it's just incredible the effect that the Six Day War had. Someone asked me the other day. In fact, if you if you address the TABC seniors next year, you'll probably meet him. Uh, someone asked me the other day which parade I remember, like which parade I remember, uh, you know, in terms of the first one when I was a kid. And I remember uh, 25. 
And that must have been 1973, right before the Yom Kippur War. The euphoria of the Six-Day War was still in the air. That was obviously squelched a bit when the Yom Kippur War started. Uh, but the euphoria was still in the air. And I guess what I'm, what I'm conjecturing, and you know Malcolm, I was very, very young at that time. Uh, but what I'm assuming is that just like we saw with Israel 70 four years ago when everyone felt the obligation to be at the parade, I'm assuming for Israel 25. Uh, do you remember 25 with that nice logo and everything? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I do remember. <laughs> it was a great logo. Uh, I, I guess that was the that was the spirit of the time that everyone felt. You know, it's such a significant well, number. Preparations so, are underway for Israel seventy five yes. for next year. Yes, so, and everybody should plan for, to do something, and every organization, every shul, everybody should be prepared to manifest to tell the world that we really do care, that we stand with Israel at a time when they're trying to divide us and separate us, and you see the media distortions, misrepresentations, the accusations regarding the killing of Shireen, you know, and it was interesting. I asked the students, how many of you can know the name Shireen? And they knew it, or at least knew the reference. Yeah. And I cited it, and I said, you know that over 2,000 reporters were killed. Do you know any of their names? And, of course, no one knows any other name. And the accusation is made by CNN, by others, without any proof, without any substantiation that they can rely on. And and it, it tells us if, if in the media, which is supposed to be objective reporting, uh, which hardly exists at all today, um, uh, so distorts and, and joins the, the slamming of Israel and so readily waits in, in to, to pounce on it, that uh, it should be reminded of why those who care about Israel have to stand up for it. And, and further, the New York Times and others uh, report the PA's final findings from their investigation as if that, that's, you know, that's the definitive uh, a conclusion to and the they case. they won't share with Israel, but Israel has not seen the bull. Until you see the bulls, you can't make a, uh, you can't draw any uh, conclusions. And yet, the, the uh, it, you know, it's tragic, sad that uh, that she was killed. It shouldn't, uh, it's not something Israel wanted. Israel doesn't shoot at uh, reporters. And, you know, we'll find out um, I think more likely that somebody else did it, but we, we don't know. Uh, you know, they can hide behind the uh, refusal to cooperate and and not share the forensic information or the the bullets, so that Israel can draw proper uh, conclusions. Uh, and it's it's critical when you see all the challenges that we have now on every border of Israel. Uh, that it's it's important that people speak up and, and at least give facts. You know that 57 members of Congress signed a letter about Shireen, that uh, they, the squad, uh, the squid, as I call them, you know, <laughs> initiated. And the um, so it, you know, it gains, it becomes a platform then and legitimizes the, the attacks on Israel. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. It certainly, it certainly gives it legitimacy, which is so difficult to watch. And, and just the, you know, I wonder about this. And you and I really have to have a longer discussion about this, but I'll just touch on it for a moment. It, it, it has got watching the way Congress now works, the influence of the squad, um, you know, resolutions or, or bills that would never have been passed before. And, and on top of that, the terrible division 
everybody taking partisan lines and 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 using everything for political means and and in no way compromising and in no way having the and I don't think I'm dreaming when I'm thinking that 20 30 years ago people at least had a conversation where they were able to uh, convey to the other side what they felt and understand what the other side was feeling on an issue it must be very frustrating in your position to be in this type of congress where it, where it's almost impossible to bring the same issue to both sides of the aisle well, as you know, for many years I warned on the show about the disappearance of the political center, judging by what was happening in Europe and especially England, which is, I always say is a lab for us, um, that what happens there eventually comes here. And the separation the, uh, of the uh, factions, the, the extremism that um, seems to be dominant both on the right and on the left and taking over major parties. You saw it at Corbyn in, in Great Britain. And the, um, the same thing here, the, the, the loss of the political center, which is where Jews generally found themselves, but now less and less hospitable place uh, because of the anti-Israel and often anti-Semitic manifestations that we see, the words that came from members of Congress even in the past week, yes. not from not New Yorkers, but others, and the, the lack of attention that uh, that it gets and general and hostility raising the bar on what what people can get away with when it comes to attacking jews right and that includes comedians and and uh, but when elected officials do it it makes it all more serious because yeah. they impact legislation as you said and the hostility just makes it it's like a barrier it's like, it's like a, a boundary that you can't uh, that you can't get through uh, because there's so much of it now in Washington. I, I hope that changes. I know in American history we've had ups and downs when it comes to this, uh, but I hope we get to a more normal place very soon. I think it makes uh, makes it a lot easier uh, to gain support for Israel and for good causes um, uh, when it's a more more of a normal situation. Uh, is Vladimir Putin in hiding right now? Is he in a bunker somewhere? No, I don't think he's in a bunker. I think uh, the question that really reigns is, what, is he sick? I mean, he certainly looks different, um, and there are a lot of rumors that he has cancer, but nobody has proven it. And I think he's, uh, you know, very shrewdly, he probably likes the idea that people will, will be more sympathetic to him if he has, they think he's sick. But that is not going to be the case. Uh, his, his internal situation is very serious as, as well. And you see that the withdrawing troops from Syria to go and fight in the Ukraine then the consequence of that with Iran moving to fill those vacuums and the, uh, you know, Russia reaching out to, to allies, particularly to China. And now they're the best buddies. And again, and working together, though I think China is very skeptical about it in the long run, they only pursue their own interests and whoever serves that those interests will be, uh, they will work with. Uh, so Russia, the, the currency obviously is under assault, uh, we see the outmigration of people and Jews to Israel included. Um, that um, there's a lot of dissent about the war, and that's before they have the real idea of how many uh, Russian soldiers have been killed. Was Israel asked to uh, transfer missiles and weapons to the Ukraine by the United States? Yes, it was, and especially from Germany, where they're manufactured under license from Israel, and Israel uh, said that they would only send defensive uh, equipment not offensive and the um, and they've sustained that position the, you know it's interesting how the world comes down on Israel which has done so much from the field hospital to be the first to send a hundred million tons of of good a uh, hundred tons of, of um, 
of uh, material, food, clothing, all sorts of goods to, to the people and have sent, has sent several shipments, uh, raised a lot of money, hundreds of millions, I would say, have been spent by Israel and the Jewish community in, the, in Ukraine, aiding and vetting people, uh, both inside the country and the refugees outside the country. And and has taken in a large number of people, far more than the United States, far more than the United Kingdom. <laughs> and yet Israel, for some reason, comes half the countries of the world have not even come out against the war and are not helping. Look at how much the Europeans, many of the European countries have done. Nothing. And yet who gets under attack and who gets the pressure? Israel. It's ridiculous. And I'm sure you're not encouraging Israel to reduce its commitment in that area, just you'd like them to get a little bit of credit for it. Well, first of all, people understand that Israel is one of the only countries that has Russia on its border, meaning in Syria. And and it's a very serious national interest and national security threat. And they've gone very far to the point where, you know, Russia launched some missiles uh, last week. And uh, were they to give carte blanche to the, to the Syrians to use the... Uh, air defense systems, it could make it much harder for Israel to counter the shipments that Iran is sending in all the time now with the sophisticated equipment to get it to Lebanon and to their forces, uh, the militias that they have in Syria. And again, as I said, trying to fill the void uh, left by uh, uh, by the withdrawal, the diminution of the number of Russian uh, troops, although they have the, their aircraft uh, still there, but they never had many but it was enough to make uh, a difference. So, you know, they, they, for Israel, they have a lot of calculations that they have to worry about. Uh, that, that's and, why and, I, I, I've been And sh- a lot of the weapons are not appropriate. The Iron Dome is not appropriate to the Ukraine situation. I've been shocked since the beginning of March that they, that they went into this as much as they did. I, I thought that, the, that it wouldn't be cowardly, but it would be sensible to stay as, as silent as possible on the whole Ukraine-Russia thing. But... Um, I guess they're doing it very carefully, as you just indicated. Just uh, you know, they know, and they know how far they can go. Well, different members of Lapid has gone much further than Bennett. Uh, President Herzog has made some strong comments. Others have, but they all recognize, you know, that that Israel has to make a judgment, has to look at its own situation, and not that does not refer to the humanitarian responses, but mm-hmm. in terms of um, uh, how far on the limit can go without then jeopardizing its own situation. Israel has always been responsive to the needs around the world, even of countries that didn't have diplomatic relations with it, to be help when there were tragedies or natural disasters or other situations, and uh, and that continues to be the case. Did you see uh, in an in a an atmosphere of desperation in terms of what's happening in their country, the Iraqis were able to pass one law in their parliament <laughs> and could it yes. get could it, could it get anything practical done just the law of uh, it's illegal to normalize relations with israel is the only one that got through well it goes much further than that Nahum. this law says that you cannot visit an embassy you cannot have communication with even social media that if you're abroad you cannot have any contact with uh, israelis or organizations connected to the zionist entity and it carries a death sentence for violating this law wow and, and uh, yes, it's a death sentence. Why do regular people like me think that Iraq is more moderate than they actually are? Why do we, I, well, because they, they, they attempt at times are. This was a, a bill rushed through, uh, and any time you do an anti-Israel uh, resolution, it's going to work. Look, in Jordan, you still have laws that have death sentences if you sell land to, to the Jew. 
Um, and uh, certainly the PA has similar laws. Uh, but the Iraqi situation is uh, is really troublesome that, that a death sentence can be meted out so lightly and, and should arouse the whole human rights um, world and organizations who rise to defend in so many other instances. Here, just the contact with in or out of the country. So it's not a question of, you know, spying or anything else uh, that's involved. It's purely an anti-Semitic move. I would guess the UN's going to condemn the new law, I would assume. Oh, yeah, so you can be sure they're working on language now. It's funny, we spoke to Dan, I mean, I know you know this and you always say it, but it just, we spoke to Danny Danone, you know, with his new book. It, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, from a from a, <laughs> from a hands-on, you know, um, 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 first-person perspective, he's telling us how how obsessed they are with Israel in that building and how, you know, 50% of the time is spent in a country of 8 million people, <laughs> you know, which, which is nowhere near the top in terms of population, in terms of, uh, you know, all the indicators in terms of how large uh, different members of the member countries of the member nations of the UN are. Uh, the obsession is simply remarkable. And of course, um, the UN will pay no attention to what happened in Iraq. And look, you see that even in our own government, the State Department's right. Bureau of Democracy Human Rights, it says it will pay nonprofits almost a million dollars to strengthen accountability and human rights in Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. So they're paying the anti-Israel forces. This is in the United States. So 12 senators, uh, Republicans, are calling on Biden to, to cancel the program. I mean, it's just unacceptable by our own government. Is, in, is, in, is encouraging then though these groups, most of them just delegitimize and, and, and work against Israel in every venue. Unbelievable. Um, in terms, I guess whoever predicted that the election in Israel would be September 20th was now proven to be incorrect. It looks like the government is going to hold. Although the interesting thing, I'm sure you saw this, is that poll that 70% of Israelis are against this whole idea of there being uh, Arabs as part of the Israeli ruling coalition. Does does that, uh, th- does the fact that the Hamon Am is against it going to have any uh, effect going forward? Or or, or likely, if there's a, uh, a desperation to form a government, they'll welcome the Arab parties in the future as well? I think the opposition is not that Arabs shouldn't be in. It's it's that the uh, way that they leverage the their position and keep threatening to pull out if they don't get paid off. And so, uh, a huge amount of money was paid to to Ram to to stay into the uh, according to all the reports to stay into in the coalition. And again, with a uh, member that that uh, demanded additional funding uh, for to vote with the coalition. I think that's the issue that that disturbs people. Um, and the, the um, not the participation and not the uh, right to people vote and elect people to to the Knesset or to anything else. Um, I think the the uh, concerns that people have now is the instability of the government and the insurity in, uh, about its ability to really pass and and address uh, the significant challenges and especially the the threats on on its borders. And you see Iran not diminishing its activities whatsoever. And the the, the challenges, we, we haven't even talked about most of the challenges that, that Israel faces now and the um, what's going on in Lebanon, what's going on between Hezbollah and, and the other forces, but it's the build-up and Soleimani's son-in-law emerging now as a major figure in smuggling weapons and drugs and stuff in in, uh, in Lebanon. But the, the uh, what 
the buildup in, of Iranian uh, facilities in, in the Red Sea and the countermeasures, the creation of this new consortium, uh, which includes the U.S. and Israel and others in the Red Sea, to counter the Iranian expansion present of its presence and the new weapons that they're introducing, including these little submarines that they make, and the uh, the importance of of, uh, of looking at what they are they are up to, both in terms of reaching out. The Raisi went to Oman. The president went to Oman uh, this week, and they are. Um, uh, you know, talking about the hand of uh, global aggression, which is the U.S. and Israel in, in their references, uh, but the elimination of uh, one of their uh, prime operatives, somebody who, who led attacks on Israelis in India and Thailand and was supposedly targeting Jewish uh, uh, places as well. Uh, and the world is, you know, is, is highlighting it as if they have sympathy for uh, for the individual who was involved, but he was a known terrorist, and uh, you know this kind of preemptive intervention is really critical uh, because they these guys are active in Tanzania and Ghana and Senegal and attacks on Israeli institutions in Colombia. I, I mean, this guy w- was a corporate killer, and um, Israel admitted to know, it, right? Pardon me. Israel admitted to it. So somebody in Israel admitted to to it, uh, but the fact that they're carrying out these attacks in Tehran, right. whoever's doing it, how do they is, do it? My gosh, <laughs> how do they do it? I don't know, and I don't want to know. Cause <laughs> if they torture me, I might talk. I don't want to. I'm just happy with the result. It, I mean, people don't know how bad a guy. I, I mentioned some of this, but he, you know, he he was involved in. Uh, an attack on a Jewish businessman, Israeli in Cyprus, or a murder attempt in Georgia, I mean, uh, against the uh, Israeli consul in Istanbul. So this is something that in America we would be waving flags and everybody would be saluting like when they eliminated Soleimani. Yep, but not in this case. Uh, finally, if I get it, um, basically Iran had had advanced warning or or was given secret documents from the IAEA. When when you have that advantage of knowing what's in a report about you, you can adjust accordingly. Is that essentially what went on there? That's essentially it, and it's uh, there's still a lot more that we have to learn to get all the facts on it. But that's those are the reports and the indication. And IAEA still doesn't have access to most of the facilities. The uh, America's Representative in Vienna, uh, Rob Malley, said this week in testimony that uh, it looks less likely than more likely that there won't be a deal. I mean, that there will be a deal, meaning it is less likely it will be a deal. And uh, we saw that the United States and President Biden upheld the, uh, even though there were people in the administration who wanted to go a different direction, um, to uphold the the sanctions and the, uh, the designation, most importantly, of the IRGC, as a foreign terrorist organization, uh, which Iran, you know, say says is a deal breaker, but in fact, Iran feels under a lot less pressure in, in one way that the oil prices, having doubled or more, uh, provides them with income. But at the same time, they raise the prices of uh, basic foods three hundred percent because they slashed the subsidies for bread for other things. And the, uh, we see the strikes by teachers and bus drivers and others, demonstrations in 19 of the 31 provinces in Iran, very serious demonstrations. I mean, that's where if the West were smart, they could take advantage of these situations, support the people of Iran. Um, and the, the, 
situation inside there is not good. There's a drought in half the country. There's going to be food shortages. Uh, and they are uh, obviously depending on hoping to get stuff from Russia, Russia hoping to use them if the sanctions aren't removed as a vehicle to sell their oil and to export stuff uh, from uh, from Russia through through Iran if the sanctions in Iran are lifted. Therefore, the sanctions should not be lifted. They should be toughened. Iran's activities throughout the Gulf, throughout the world, are worse than ever. We see it in, in uh, South America. There was the execution of a Paraguayan on his honeymoon in, in um, a criminal prosecutor who was looking at Hezbollah, and the guys on jet skis drive up onto the beach, <laughs> killed him, and, in, and returned the skis in le- all of it in less than 19 minutes. And so they got were able to get out, and we see the situation in Lebanon deteriorating as well. So, you know, and, and the world is so uh, focused otherwise. You know, when Hamas says that they won't tolerate this Talmudic Jewish nonsense about Yerushalayim, should be an incentive to everybody to remind them of how important it is that we stand up for Jerusalem, especially at this time of the year. Amen to that. Malcolm, I thank you. Uh, next week, a, uh, yeah, next week should be on schedule. Erev Shabbos, Erev Shavuos, why not? Uh, have a, a wonderful Shabbos and a great... It's good you have a one-sided conversation. But yeah, yeah, you like that, huh? <laughs> I, I, took care, I took care of the whole thing. Uh, we, we'll speak again next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us with a weekly update Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM.